Welcome to the Heartland Community Church Podcast, a podcast designed to help you in your personal spiritual growth. This podcast is part one of the series, Rose-Colored Glasses. Eric Park's message is titled, How to Build a Thriving Marriage. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be covering really important issues because we're looking at relationships. So next week, we're gonna look at family relationships and how do we build strong families. The week after that, week three, we're looking at how do we build and forge relationships that last. But this week, we're gonna be talking about marriage. Now, here's what I need to tell you. Whether you're single, married, whatever your status is, regardless, what I'm gonna talk about uh, over the next few minutes, I promise you, it applies to all of you. So even if you're not married right now, don't check out or feel like, what we're about to cover isn't for you because it is. Really, many of the principles that we're going to look at today, these are not just wonderful marriage principles. These are principles from God's word that honestly, they're ingredients for forging really, really strong relationships. So how do we forge strong marriages? Well, this is what I know. If, if your life has looked anything like mine, this season has put many of our relationships to the test, in particular our marriages, because here's the truth. Like, you've spent more time with your spouse in the last eight weeks than you ever did even when you were dating. Chrissy and I were just talking about this the other day, that we couldn't hardly stay apart when we were dating and engaged and what the the amount of time that we've spent together over the last eight weeks, like it pale that that in the past pales into comparison. We have been together so much, and there's been certain parts that have been great. But the truth is, spending this much time in any of our relationships in our marriages, what it tends to do is begin to show some of the substance that's inside our relationships and to expose some of what might be going on in our relationships. I dare to say that for many of us, COVID-19 and this time together in our marriages has probably, like if we're honest, exposed some cracks, some things that maybe we need to think about and things we need to work on. So let me ask you this. What do you think causes marriages to fail? Now, if we were to write this down, the truth is there's all kinds of reasons that marriages fail, but at its base level, they're actually, um, failure in marriage can be sort of boiled down most often to a singular thing. Now, let me talk about failure for a minute because I wanna be really clear what failure is. Failure is when a marriage ceases to thrive. Because here's the truth, nobody got into a marriage to just avoid divorce. See, that's not success. Success is not like divorce avoidance. I want you to go back, I want you to think about like the, the very, that very first season of your engagement. Think about your wedding day. And I want you to think about like on your wedding day, what were you hoping for? Because I can tell you, like when Chrissy and I were walking down the aisle and we decided to say I do, our goal wasn't just to survive. 
That wasn't the goal of marriage, right? The idea was that like, we would do life together and, and, and we would bring out the best in each other and we would laugh together and we would love each other fully and be fully known. Like this, when we think about marriage, this is the reality of what goes through our mind. This is what thriving marriages are. I think what we have to understand is that if your marriage isn't thriving, then isn't that less than what you had in mind? I don't like using the word failure because it feels so final and awful, but when we talk about failing marriages, if your marriage isn't thriving, then I can promise you for you, it probably feels like a failure. It probably feels like this isn't the way it's supposed to be. I've sat with lots of couples who've come into my office and um, what they've settled into is a routine that the only outcome really that they're thinking about at that point is divorce avoidance. But that's not what God had in mind for your marriage. That's not what he had in mind when he instituted all of this. What he had in mind is that we thrive together, that we live together in such a way where honestly, we look at the trajectory of our life and it's better because of it. So now, the reality is that most marriages that fail to thrive, it really can be boiled down to, I think, a single thing. Like all relationships rise and fall on one single thing. You wanna know what it is? It is what we choose to see in our partner. Like if you think about the lenses in which we see our partner and this marriage, they all rise and fall on how we see it. Now here's the greatest challenge in that. If, we, if we're really gonna get honest in this talk and you're gonna be honest at home, the reality is you probably, if you're married, are sitting across from your significant other. And um, the reality is what you're hoping is that I'll address something that will address a problem in your significant other. Now, that isn't because you're abnormal. In fact, most people view their relationships from this lens where their partner does something wrong and if they would correct that, then everything would be fine. There has been a million different counseling sessions that I've sat through. And in those counseling sessions heard, well, if he would only. Well, here's, here's the reality of that statement. Do you know that as human beings, all of us have a tendency to actually take more credit than we're due and to take less responsibility than we should. There's actually um, a technical phrase for this. It's called a self-serving bias. And every single one of us has it. It is that sort of innate reaction that I'm good, you're not. Now, some researchers did some interesting studies on self-serving bias, just to prove out that all of us have it. 
So there was a research study done not too long ago where over 800,000 high school students were asked a simple question. So this is from all kinds of backgrounds, different parts of the country, 800,000 students. They were asked, are you above or below average when it comes to getting along with people? Now, I want you to take a second. Guess what percentage thought that they were below average? Just guess. Tell whoever's sitting in the room with you. You think it was 50%? I mean, 50% guess they were below average at getting along with people? Not 50%. 25%? Nope. 10%? Nope. You know what the answer is? Of 800,000 high school students, 0% thought that they were below average in getting along with other students. That's called a self-serving bias. Now, my guess is that your reaction is, well, yeah, because they're high school students. Not too fast. U.S. News and World Report, they decided to find out about self-serving bias, and they did a study with adults. Now, this is people like you and me. We've seen the world. We sort of know a few things. We're a little more well-rounded. They asked this simple question. They gave a list of people and they said, who do you think is the most likely to get into heaven? Now, these aren't just Christians. These are all kinds of people. Here's the list. At the top of the list, 79% of people thought Mother Teresa is the most likely to get into heaven, which the other 21% are a really hard audience. Oprah was next, 66%. Michael Jordan was at 65%. And the list went down. And, um, but there was one interesting, one interesting piece of information. Do you know that there was one person that actually topped Mother Teresa? There was one per person in US News and World Report survey, one person that received an 87% shot of getting into heaven. Guess who it was? The respondent. That's right, 87%. Of people who took this survey said they thought they were as likely to go to heaven as Mother Teresa. Why? Because we have a self-serving bias. My friend Chad Brugman puts it this way. A self-serving bias sort of plays its way out in a simple phrase, and we see this in our marriages. I want mercy for me. I want you to understand me, what I'm made of, where I come from, all of my motives. If you knew me, you wouldn't judge me, but I want justice for everyone else. Mercy for me, justice for everybody else. And see, this is what so often we do that causes marriages to buckle. We look at our partner and we say things like, well, it's his fault or it's her fault. If she just figure it out. If she wouldn't push my buttons, if he'd pick up his socks, if he would change, if she would change, then I would. See, in our marriages, it's true. We want someone to love us and understand us and forgive us and to give us the benefit of the doubt, to give us mercy. We want mercy for us. But too often, because of our self-serving bias, we want justice for our partners. And can I be honest with you? 
This is poison. It's poison. Poison for your marriage. It's poison for your soul. It's poison for any relationship you have. It is poison. But there is hope. There is another way. While the self-serving bias is real in all of us, there is another way. I was thinking about when I first, when I first met Chrissy Hodges. So this was in 1994. It was at a local church right here in Rockford. And um, I remember walking into that youth group. We were both kids. I mean, I was 20, 21. She was 20, 19, 20. I remember seeing her on a pew in the church we were in. She was a few people down and my sister was sitting next to me. I nudged my sister. I said, hey, who's that girl? My sister told me her name. I took the corner of a sheet of paper and I wrote, I will marry Chrissy. And I like nudged her during service and I'm like, I'm gonna marry that girl. Well, I can tell you that I did everything hook or crook to get that girl to date me, somehow get her to fall in love with me. I was absolutely bonkers for her. The, 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 the phrase is, you know, like you're blindly in love. That love oftentimes is, is blind. That, that's how it felt for me. Like, and we see this oftentimes in the earliest phases of our relationship where we'll see people blindly fall in love, right? Where you just head over heels. But then there's this idea, there's conventional wisdom that says, but strong relationships should never be built on blind love. The idea is that over time in the best, strongest relationships, that we should take like a really clear-eyed assessment of our partner and that we should know their strengths and over time, we replace that initial rush of love with like an accurate understanding of who that person is, right? And, and, and the, the, the reality is conventional wisdom has said, because if you don't do that, what's gonna happen is you're gonna have this idealized version of your spouse and sooner or later, he or she, they're not gonna live up to it and it's all gonna be an illusion and come crashing down. That, that seems really reasonable, right? Like blind love, that's stupid. Well, since we're on the research tip, I'm gonna throw one more bit of research at you. There was some research a few years ago that some researchers from the University of New York, the University of Sussex in UK and the University of Michigan did to find out what is it that makes marriages really successful. So they surveyed um, thousands of marriages and these marriages typically were about 11 years in length. And they asked them a series of questions, and this is key. They brought the husband and the wife in, and they asked each husband and wife a series of questions about themselves and then about their partner. They asked them to rate themselves and rate their partner in areas like kindness, affection, being tolerant, accepting, patience, warm, sociable, etc. When the researchers began to look at the data of the healthiest marriages that they could find, what they began to realize is that a pattern did emerge. That in the happiest couples, the husbands often, almost always rated their wife more highly in every single area than the wife rated herself and vice versa. In other words, like their partners saw through a rose-colored lens 
their other partner. When the wife said, yeah, I'm not very um, patient, the husband would look over and be like, you're the most patient person I know. Category after category, in successful marriage after successful marriage, this was the pattern. And they came up with a phrase for this. It's called the generous explanation. Now, if you, if you look in ancient times, during Jesus' day, they had a name for this behavior too. In fact, we can find a discussion of, of Jesus' contemporaries in the Mishnah. This was a collection of Jewish sayings that were written a couple hundred years after Jesus, but it did contain teachings from Jesus' contemporary. There was one rabbi who lived about a hundred years before the birth of Jesus, and he wrote this in the Mishnah. Judge each person with the scales weighted in their favor. One of its most prominent statements, judge every person in favorable terms. Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter seven, verse one. Stop judging others and you will not be judged for others will treat you as you treat them. Whatever measure you use in judging others, it will be used to measure how you're judged. Judge in favorable terms. This is what Jesus is basically saying. And you know, in Jesus' day, it was, as, it was considered as important as visiting the sick, devotion in prayer, or, or teaching scripture to your children. But see, too often, we judge our partners harshly. Why? Lots of reasons. Because we know them. We've lived with them. We like know all their little secrets. We've seen our partners at their worst in the mornings after a mistake, right? So oftentimes, all of that proximity can cause us to want mercy for me, but judgment for you. The Apostle Paul says, listen, every time you criticize someone, you are condemning yourself. Hey, he, he's not talking to a random person. He's talking to us, husband and wife, to, your, to you as couples. Like when we don't judge favorably, we actually are condemning ourselves. The thing we want to be understood, to be loved. Jesus is saying it flows out of a generous explanation. Let me say this, and this is really, really important. If you think your job is to change your partner, you are on a fool's errand. You cannot change your partner. It's not your job to change your partner. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says your job is to change your partner. Your job, pray for them, encourage them, cheer them on, but you can't change them. That's not your job. And if we can wrap our head around the reality that our job is to love our partner, to love them. Now look, that doesn't mean you can't have arguments. You're going to. That doesn't mean you have to be quiet when injustice sort of 
happens inside of a marriage, what it means is, is that if we can find a way to consistently find the most generous explanation for our partner's behavior and then choose to believe it, we will have an increasingly successful marriage. The Bible says it. Research sort of proves it out. That if both partners step into this, you will thrive. It's really just looking through a rose-colored lens, isn't it? Instead of when your partner's feelings get hurt, making a small remark and snapping back, maybe you say, my husband must have had the worst day of his life. Like we choose to judge favorably. And look, you can teach yourself to judge in favorable terms. It's fully your choice because at the end of the day, you're just applying your motives to your partner's actions anyway. And, And if you're just applying motives, can't you apply positive motives to your partner's behavior? Now, I already know. I already know. Some of you hear this and you go, well, that's ridiculous, right? For us to make up favorable excuses for other people's behavior. That's ridiculous. That's letting people have a free pass. Well, I was reading just recently, and um, there's a gal, a writer. Her name is Louis Verberg, and she came to an important realization. I want to read what she says. She says this, over time I started to realize that my first ungracious assessment was often no more plausible than the other scenarios. My scales of judgment were seriously askew, weighted heavily towards guilt rather than innocence. She goes on to say this, if the idea to judge others favorably is always applied, and this includes to your partner, It is impossible to have a critical or cynical spirit towards others. It's hard to gossip about people if you start assuming that they may have a worthy reason behind the conduct that seems questionable. It's difficult even to remain angry or bear a grudge against someone once you start thinking of what might have motivated them to do whatever you are upset about. This is finding the most generous explanation and choosing to believe it. I was thinking about what are awesome examples. Maybe like with your spouse, like in COVID right now, maybe we start reframing how we see their behavior. And and maybe instead of thinking your wife is a hothead, maybe you say, well, she's short-tempered today because she just became a school teacher overnight. Maybe your husband isn't messy Maybe he's artistic. (laughs) Maybe your wife isn't distracted. She's just really creative. Maybe he's not overly opinionated. He's just well-read. See, it is so much easier to reach out in love when we just let God judge other people's motives, including our partners, right? Don't judge. I mean, this is the essence of to judge favorably is to not judge critically. I love the way James 2.13 says this. He says, listen, there will be no mercy for those who've not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. 
Find the most generous explanation for your partner's behavior and just choose to believe it. When we live this way, what the Bible tells us is that we will experience life in our relationships. No more judgment, not mercy for me and judgment for you. Rather, generous explanation for you, and I choose to believe it. You've been listening to the Heartland Community Church Podcast. Eric Park's message, How to Build a Thriving Marriage, is part one in the series Rose-Colored Glasses. You can experience the entire service this message came from by going to heartland.cc and clicking on the watch page. Or you can go to the Heartland Community Church YouTube channel, or you can watch it on the Heartland app. Search Heartland CC in the App Store.